Okay, so you guys have somewhat of a tour happening right now. Yeah, it's coming up. What uh, is it exactly? We're going up the Midwest. Farthest we're hitting, I believe, is Dayton, Ohio. It's only about six days out. I wish it could be more, but schedule's conflicting. Yeah? Yeah, Chris can't do it. Chris yeah. Zeiler, he has a job that sort of <laughs> like prohibits him from touring on a regular basis. Well, it, it also gives him the option to do seven on, seven off, or we can leave for up to two weeks. He can get three weeks off, but it's kind of tough to do that every now and then. Yeah, and you guys have toured pretty extensively in the past. You guys went up the East Coast. I think y'all went all around the country at one yeah. point. So this isn't quite that. You're no, going this in. is just a little little roundabout, you know, week-long tour just to remind people that we're still around. Yeah, do you feel like you have to do that right now? Yeah, yeah, we're kind of fading away, it seems like. I mean, you know, we're not going anywhere by any means, but it's been a while since we've been out there, and we're getting new T-shirts. We just need to remind folks that we're still around. Why do you think that is, though? Obviously, you all have different schedules, and it keeps you from playing maybe as much as you'd like, but you guys don't play Tuscaloosa that often. I mean, you played Egan's recently. You're playing at Top Shelf this week. Well, that means that we play Tuscaloosa pretty often. You think? Yeah. But, I mean, the, the, those two shows that are so close together, mm -hmm. that would suggest that, but it's been a while since you guys have played with a lot of consistency in yeah. Tuscaloosa. The most consistent form of us playing here would probably be that I feel like we're semi the house band of Egan's because <laughs> it seems like we play there at least once a month. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind that at all, making them money, making Bob money, making sides money. And we get to bring in bands like these guys, Cal Sawashes from Columbus, Ohio. On your shirt there. Yeah. So why, why do you think, like you said, you play Egan's at least once a month, mm -hmm. but not many other venues. And <laughs> as we were talking about off mic earlier, you're playing Top Shelf, which is a place you guys I don't think have ever played. Yeah. And well, we're not really catered towards... Like I said, we know how to drive people out of a room because mm -hmm. we're too loud sometimes. Definitely going to be some eclectic music for a crowd that is not used to it. So that's why we don't play many other places. You guys used to play when it was open Mellow Mushroom quite a bit. Obviously, they shut down the upstairs but area. But think about the crowd that went into Mellow Mushroom. Right. That was where a bunch of different type of people could all go and enjoy themselves. Music-minded people. Yeah. Yeah. And listen to all different kinds of music. I mean... Didn't Galactic play there at one point? Maybe. They did start bringing in some high-profile yeah. names, and then shortly after that, it seems like they shut down. Yeah. I mean, was that a blow to you guys oh, that, totally. that they shut down? Absolutely, because was, Alex was taken off with booking there. I mean, like you said, he was, he was bringing in some really big names towards the end, and then corporate came in and shut it down. And I mean, that was the best venue in town at that time for years. It was awesome. Yeah, I agree personally. I mean, that was my favorite place to go see music, mm -hmm. for sure. I think that there are two places in town right now that you can count on for live music, especially local music. Obviously, Egan's has something every weekend. Yeah. There's usually no cover charge, and you're going to find something new and fresh that you've never heard before, or you're going to see some of your favorite bands performing, and you can do it for free. The other venue is obviously Green Bar, which mm -hmm. is downtown in the Timerson area. And this is a place that stresses local and regional music. They have somebody different seemingly every weekend, and they have plenty of options for music lovers to enjoy. Yet, I don't feel like I've seen Bakwai on the menu, so to speak, at Green Bar for a long time. Yeah, that's and it, true. And it seems like a perfect marriage. So why haven't I seen Bakwai there? That's a loaded question, man. I don't know if I should answer that, honestly. <laughs> it just seems like Bakwai is fit for that venue and vice versa. I got, I got in an argument there one time, and it just kind of 
put a sour taste in my mouth for the whole thing. And I'm not holding a grudge. I have no problem with playing that place any, again, ever. It's great. You know, we can play it. Uh, I do like 90% of the people that work there. And, yeah, I would really love to be honest with you here. You can be honest. You don't have to name names if you don't want to. Okay. I got in an argument with the sound guy, and I'm not holding a grudge. I'm actually over it, but words were exchanged. People acted like jerks. And it put a damper on the whole thing. But, yeah, we'll, we'll be back there. Yeah. Um, what was the, I mean, I'm just curious, like, what what kind of argument, and you don't have to get too specific if so you don't want to. It's simple and trivial that it shouldn't even matter. So, in that, and that pretty much did the damage, did enough damage to prevent you guys from playing at that venue or prevent you from wanting to play at a venue like that? That, that Prevented me from wanting to work with said person. Uh-huh. And it didn't seem like there's any other way around playing there but to, that we had to work with this person. Mm-hmm. So... Like I said, I'm over it now. I'd be happy to play there again. We probably will, but we're not exactly going out of our way to try to book a show there. Coincidentally, you guys appeared on the local show Tuscaloosa Monorail, Mm -hmm. which is filmed at Green Bar. And so, yeah, so you guys have been there recently, and that was one of their best episodes, I thought. And, you know, I watched the the show that aired, and I also watched the raw interview that they put on YouTube, and I Uh I found it really (laughs) fascinating. But you guys covered a lot of ground in that interview with Zach Travis. It was all three of you, and people should go to YouTube to find the episode and watch yeah. it because it's really good. But that long interview, I had to ask them to edit because I threw you know two people under the bus. Uh-huh. But somehow <laughs> that actually worked in our favor because our our second second album because our second album is actually our third second album. Right. So the second one, uh, the guy that recorded it. I talked about him in the interview, yeah. named his name, and then I didn't realize that Adam had already put up a link to his website for that program. As soon as it got online, it went you know, to him. So he watched it, heard his name, <laughs> called us back immediately, and was like, hey, man, I feel really bad about that. Why don't you guys come into the studio and I'll you know, hook you up with some free spots? So that's great that that worked <laughs> out. Well, before we get to the, the second second album that you just mentioned, one of the things that you say on the show is you guys are the unluckiest band ever. I concur. Why do you concur? Like, why did you say that? What, what has made Bakwai the unluckiest band ever? Well, uh, we've been around for 10 years. We don't have too much to show for it. We have at least four or five albums worth of material, but, you know, no way to release it. Gosh, man, low on funds, you know. Oh, that, and we keep meeting people that make promises that just cannot come true. Like, a guy that says that he would book an entire national tour for us three months before the tour doesn't have anything booked except for his own venue in in Mobile, Alabama. So we fired him and then booked a national tour within three months prior, which is just unheard of. But luckily, we made it happen, so... Chris Zeiler made it happen. You say that you guys have been around for 10 years and you don't have anything to show for it. Mm. Do you really feel that way? No, no. I just, uh, I guess, I guess I wish that we had more albums out. Honestly, I would, I would just love to have all this stuff recorded, which we do have a lot of it recorded, just not all of it out. And I mean, things have happened. Would you chalk it up to luck? Or would you chalk it up to, I mean, you, you, you've mentioned... Bad life decisions, like me going to jail and being incarcerated for a while. Uh-huh. Yeah, messing up a, a lot of potential activities that we could have had, like overseas touring, which we've had to turn down in the past because I had warrants out. And, you know, that's... Okay, a lot of it's on me, I'll admit, for that. 
<laughs> I, I did I did screw that up for a while, but uh, you know I'm better now. That's not recent though. I mean that was several yeah. years ago. Yeah. So, but it put a damper on like we we had so many opportunities that we lost because I couldn't do it. Like you had to have an ID to get in some places, and I you know they'd let us play, but they'd tell me to leave as soon as we got done, which is ridiculous. I mean, because I had a mustache then too, and I'm like you know clearly <laughs> I'm older than 18. Yeah, little things like that that add up. You mentioned that you recorded the second album and never got released because a hard drive got fried. Oh, yeah. Talk about that. We spent about three months in our practice space at Oak City Barbershop where we used to practice with Chinese dentists and all those guys. And We had the room set up. We were recording there for about yeah three months, and it was summertime, and it got really, really hot. It was one of those, like, 102 days, and I guess the AC in the place wasn't on. We went up there and it was completely fried. We tried to get it fixed. We salvaged maybe four tracks off of it, but all in all ended up scrapping it in the end. And then recorded there again for the second second album. And you know, that that one didn't work out so well. So yeah, you you talk about the guy who after you recorded took your songs and ended up giving you eight songs back. Yeah. We recorded about fifteen or sixteen and then he just never, like, mixed him. Like, he left town, you know, to go back to where he was from to mix him, and then we just lost touch, or he kind of lost touch with us. Uh-huh. Well, for a band that's trying to be a band yeah. and trying to record a new album... Oh, we called constantly. Yeah. I mean... So, I mean, what do you do in that situation where, other than call, you guys are trying... This is what you do. This is what yeah. you're trying to make happen. This is a career that you're trying to pursue actively. Well, what we've come back to really is you know do it yourself that's what we're gonna do for the next album because after that second second album the guys from building studio or decimal records that approached us from louisiana actually drove all the way here to my house and told me that they wanted to make an album with us and i was like word yeah you're gonna pay for it too awesome and it was a great experience you know doing both those albums but again like i said the third one that we have isn't out yet and that's due to the same kind of stuff where people just flake out. And that's that's one of the most unluckiest parts, is people just flaking out on you. And it happens a lot in this business. Well, in this 10-year span that you guys have been around, have you you've experienced a lot of flaking out? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, is it something that typically happens more, more often than people coming through? Yeah, actually, I would say so. I'd say more often than, that, than not, people will flake out on you than come through for you. And how do you put up with that? How do you keep going? Is it just the love of the game, I Write guess? songs about it? Yeah. Like, this band, Kyle Swashes, he has a great song called Your Band Flaked Out On Me. <laughs> like, just when I needed you the most. Talking yeah. about booking shows on a tour, and then, you know, they fell through. Like, what's up with that? But, yeah, booking agents, managers, people that want to take 10 to 13% labels. So, you know, we're on, we're on iTunes. I don't exactly understand how iTunes works. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I was told recently because we keep selling stuff on there and apparently you have to pay a, like a monthly or annual or biannual fee to, to keep an album on there. Now, we have two albums on there and one of them is promoted by Aaron that used to run Cave Nine, his label House of Love Records based in Birmingham. The other one is on there from Decimal Records based out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Now, I don't know where any of the money goes and I don't know how they're staying up on YouTube. I can't get in touch with anybody, so I don't, you know, I, I don't know where to begin. Probably, you know, get a Facebook and 
start contacting people <laughs> like a real person. Well, yeah, you're not on Facebook. I mean, you you you're you're not obviously on Twitter. That kind of thing. I mean, you guys have those accounts. We have, a, we have a Twitter. You have a Twitter and you have a Facebook account and that kind of thing. Are you the one who's actively behind those accounts? No way. <laughs> why, why, why no way? Why haven't you joined that party? I'm not computer party? savvy. I'm lazy when it comes to that. I don't, I don't want to do it. So it's Chris and Adam who mm-hmm. handle that stuff? We had a guy that we could just call and I would say or text him really stupid stuff. <laughs> and he'd post it. You know, like I said something about the Greek society in Tuscaloosa acting like an organized crime syndicate. I think we posted that. I don't know how many hits it got. So you're, you're remembering the tweets that you, the yeah. individual ones, you, that's how many that you've done where you can remember every single one of them pretty uh-huh. much? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so you, you, you mentioned Baton Rouge, and I know that you guys have collaborated with people there before. I know that you mm-hmm. recorded one of the albums there, Yeah, right? two of them. Two of them, okay. So the, the third one that's about to come out now, eventually. In terms of the luck that you're talking about, and some of the luck that you guys might have made for yourself that you mentioned, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, it sounds like you guys have had a run of bad luck. And but you've written so many songs, and there's so much out there. And in, in, during this process, this ten-year process, you have this enormous catalog of individual songs that you guys can record and you can play live. So uh-huh. creatively, it doesn't seem like your growth has stunted at all. Oh yeah, no, no, no. We're we're all on board with that. It's as far as terms of success mm-hmm. we've kind of gotten a boot but that's like i said just empty promises from so many people saying that oh we're gonna book you on a tour with this band you know and after this tour goes well maybe we can hook you up on you know this booking agency that will take you there and that's a guy who wants 13 percent of most of what you make and then they take it and they don't do anything and then you have to go through this whole all right you're fired burning bridges i hate you <laughs> and then they're like i'm sorry man you're right i screwed up uh let me make it up to you and i'm like no let's just leave it alone we'll, we'll be friends you know but from a business standpoint you're talking about like i mean that bridge is usually burned yeah totally have you burned a lot of bridges do you think sure not intentionally but mm-hmm. yeah i mean mine would be more verbally mm-hmm. you know if, and accidental because i do talk out of my ass by accident a lot and say very rude, profound things that I don't consider to be rude at the time. I'm just kind of speaking my mind. Like if I tell a guy he's got really nice teeth and he wants to take offense to that, like I'm being condescending, I'm actually just saying you have really nice teeth. That actually happened. This guy got really pissed off at a show. And that's a band that we would love to play with. But he's like, man, you're ruthless. I was like, no, seriously, you just, it's an awesome grill. So you can't play with them anymore, right? Well, no, we t- be- be- because the guy has nice teeth. We've talked since then, and oh, I've good. apologized, yeah. which I don't know why I had to, but <laughs> that's I'm a socially awkward person. So do you feel like, obviously, jobs play a role in this, right? Chris has a job mm-hmm. that has, is keeping him in Tuscaloosa. And Chris is the financial backbone of, of right. uh, Bakwai. Well, the thing is, is, you know, what I'm curious about is, ha- have you guys ever thought, in all of these 10 years, maybe Tuscaloosa isn't necessarily meant for us or like our place where we need to be doing this. Should we go somewhere else? Should we find a different environment and should we find different collaborators that might move us in a different direction? And we had a move set up. We were going to go to Portland, but again, that was about four, four or five years ago. So yeah, halfway through that's, I guess when I got incarcerated, we were all set up to go there. You know, like Chris uh, had a job lined up. He was going to transfer to another hospital. And I ended up staying in longer than I thought I would. And 
everything just fell through. The whole move fell through. But I don't feel like we should have to move in order to be successful. If we can just tour, you know? And I'm down to tour nine months out of the year as long as I have a place to come home to and crash. Mm-hmm. You know, that's ideal for me. As long as you're touring, it doesn't really matter where you're based. Yeah. Okay. And you don't mind Tuscaloosa. You love Tuscaloosa. I mean, you've obviously stayed here. I don't mind it. It's cheap rent. Yeah. Students can be a handful from time to time. And you live among them, too. Yeah, I do. I do. I sure do. (laughs) Well, and they're also the folks you have to count on in many cases, too. I mean, they're your audience. Well, we'll see tomorrow. Yeah. Because a lot of them do not take to us very well. You know, they're like, what the hell is this? You know, Because we do have a different sound. We're not very... We do have straightforward songs, but I wouldn't say all of them are. And, again, we are very loud. You're from Auburn, right? I was born in Birmingham. I lived in Auburn for about 12 years. Where in Birmingham were you born? Just St. Like Vincent's Hospital. And did you live in Birmingham after yeah. that? Where? I don't know. I was a kid. <laughs> where do you remember being for the first time when uh, you were alive? Catholic school. Where? St. Paul Elementary. And where's that? It's like downtown Birmingham. Okay. but yeah. we're, we're I live pretty close to... You know, downtown Birmingham. Where would you say you grew up? Auburn. Auburn. Okay. Why do you hate that? Just because it's Auburn and... No, because they put me through the ringer, through their own little small town judicial system, and... How? I was arrested when I was 19. Very lucky to get youthful offender in that place. That was the same year that they instated a law in Alabama that says you can get a felony per pill of any class 3 narcotic. Now, a class 3 narcotic is a prescription drug that you're in possession of that you're not prescribed to. So that's a felony per pill. So they charged me with two felonies and dropped off the misdemeanors. But since I got youthful offender, as long as I didn't screw up my probation, I was not a felon. So that was the worst possible thing that they could give me. And I was going to go to college in uh, full sale, which I'm glad that didn't really work out because I've been in and out of Lee County Jail, which is in Opelika right next to Auburn because that's where my case is based out of. And I just... Uh, I'm just disgusted by the practice of law in that county. So I don't ever want to go back. So you've got a pretty, obviously a pretty negative association with Lee County. Absolutely. Okay, well, I mean, if you would, if you can, I mean, talk about some of that, some of those experiences. Like, what exactly specifically was happening to where you were in those situations? I won't lie. A lot of it was Uh self-inflicted because I was screwing up my probation. But on the... The kinds that weren't, like I was on probation up here, because the second time I got out, the judge said I'd be better suited in the city with parental supervision, and my parents had both just moved up here. And oddly enough, the day I got out, my van was packed full of all my shit, because my roommate at the time had not been paying rent. He'd been going out to the bars and spending all our money, and I guess while I was in jail, the sheriff's department came in, evicted him. Luckily, my girlfriend was, like, crashing over there, so... She stopped him and threw it all in my van. And he drove straight to Tuscaloosa after that. My first probation officer, Mr. Jones, I think. This is, again, self-inflicted. I told him, I don't know why the hell I said this. I was, I'd passed all my drug tests, and he's like, got anything you want to tell me? And I'm like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm totally clean, but I, I smoked some weed at Christmas. And then he's like, man, I wish you hadn't told me that. I'm like, why? He's like, I got to write you up. You got to go to court in Lee County. I'm like, what the, f- Really? You can't, it was, it was my fault. That was so stupid. You can't tell someone in that position anything in confidence. So he wrote me up. I went to court and I get back. I think my court case was on the second or my court date was on the second. And you had to report from the first to the fifth. So I got back in town on the sixth and I told him that I was going to be back in town on the sixth because I had, you know, a 
lot of shit to do in Auburn. And I came back and I called him as I was going into his office. I mean, I was right outside of his office and he's like, well, you already got a warrant out for your arrest for being late, so you may as well turn back around, go back to Lee County and wait on a court date or turn yourself in. And I was like, really, dude? Fuck that. I'll see you in a couple of years. I'm just not going to deal with this. So for three years, I was basically had a lot of warrants out and they just kept building up. So it was like a couple of FTAs, a couple of writs, and then whatever the initial one was, that was one thing. But then you reached a point where you decided to sort of face the music, right? And right. put it behind you. Right. Well, that's where, see, we were going to go ahead and move and I was, you know, thinking about the whole which I believe every person that's ever been on probation thinks that they could just disappear and get lost in the system, which does not happen unless a hurricane hits. When I realized that Alabama will extradite from anywhere in the United States, I had to turn myself in. And then had to go to jail, which fucked up everything. So, again, self-inflicted. But How long were you in jail? Uh, that time, 62 days. Yeah. yeah. And how was that? It was fun. It's like summer camp, you know. <laughs> made some friends. Yeah. Made some, you know. made some friends? Yeah. Well, not like that. You keep in it's, touch? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Yeah. I made acquaintances, yeah. that, you know, while I was in there. Learned how to make some disgusting-ass food. Yeah? Something called a jailhouse burrito. It's where you take, everybody uh, throws in a little whatever chips they have, like some pork rinds, some Doritos, some Cheetos. And then if somebody's got, like, a pickle or some sausage or some cheese spread. So... Okay. You have to hold down a button to get the warm water. So somebody's got to stand over there the whole time and have an empty bag. You get all that shit, take a dry bag, throw everybody's stuff in there, mainly chips at first, roll it out, crush it up, put the hot water in, and then sit on it, lay it out flat, dice up the pickle, the sausage, cut the plastic, (laughs) rip the sheet off, and then you have this fine, thick paste of warm, watered, stuck-together corn syrup, starch, crap that you throw you know diced pickle and meat and then put cheese spread on top and it is disgusting it's called a jailhouse burrito <laughs> i would never make it out anywhere no? no have you had you so you haven't had many jailhouse burritos since oh, i've had not no not since <laughs> not since i feel like i've tasted something very similar to it and pointed it out to somebody being like this is kind of disgusting why the hell are you eating it it sounds like you kept a pretty good attitude like you said you look back on it like it was summer camp and i know yeah. you're exaggerating a little bit but oh, yeah no, I, mean, I kept a if i had been caught with uh two or four double a batteries in my sock i would have gotten an extra charge but i kept that shit all the time <laughs> because there were a lot of assholes in there and if you can swing that around and hit him in the head with it you're golden were you ever in that situation almost a couple of times really yeah, people are real dicks in there, man. Well, I know that you know you're a guy who doesn't. You're not afraid to share your opinion, especially in those situations, right? I mean, or well, was, yeah. it, was it where was it a thing where you did have to sort of like keep yourself at bay? I had several times I had to tell people to get out of my cell because they had a, a monitor system um, in each cell to where the guards watching you could be like, you know, what are all you people doing in that room? And you had to be like, nothing, sorry. And they'd be like, tell those people to get out of that room. You're supposed to be alone. Okay. <laughs> you guys have to leave. And lots of times I wouldn't invite people, you know. They would just come in there to see, you know, it was two people per cell. So on your mingling hours when everybody gets to go outside, the doors to the cells are open. Like I said, it's fun. Good time. Fun, good times. Was 62 days the longest you had to spend? That's the longest I've been in. Yeah. And since the 62 days, have you been back? No. Yeah. I'm very uncomfortable with that question. Are you? It's scary, man. I don't I don't want to go back. 
Well, who does? Poor people. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them. There was this guy named Pig that I met one time. He had one <laughs> eye, talked in his sleep, farted a lot in his sleep. He was like, <laughs> this one time he was having a dream. Yeah, like, I knew this guy because he was a panhandler in Auburn. You know, he would be at every gas station asking for money, and he had just a ball of skin in his left eye socket. In his dream, he was like, oh, what are you doing? What you doing, baby? Yeah, yeah. How, how much is that? Five dollars. <laughs> Fuck that, you motherfucking cheap bitch. Let me get two of them. All right. <laughs> yeah, Pig was awesome. Yeah. But he also got up in my face a lot. Really? Yeah, but he was short, so I used that to my advantage. And I was like, fuck you, pig. Did you get to play music in there at all? Well, this is what I told Chris the first time I talked to him when I was in jail. He was like, hey, dude, how you doing? It's really good. You been playing guitar? And I'm like, oh, yeah, man. I got I got one. I keep it in my cell. He's like, oh, that's awesome. So you have a guitar in there? I'm like, no, I'm in fucking jail. He's like, oh, you've been, you know, like, what have you been doing? I'm like, oh, just got out of the pool after a while. It was pretty nice. Did like 20 laps. He was like, well, they got a pool there? I'm like, no, I'm in fucking jail. <laughs> I walk in circles in a pod. <laughs> like, that's all I do. I do push-ups and sit-ups and try to find a way to do pull-ups. I did write several songs in there. Yeah. But that was mainly... The closest thing I had to a guitar was a string and a string that I would like pull. I'd tie it to something and be like... Dum, 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 dum. It's kind of like a pickle bucket bass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That was that was about the closest thing I had. And I did do that a lot because I was really bored. I can imagine, yeah. Going back to sort of like the start, you mentioned you were born in Birmingham, somewhat raised in Birmingham. When you were younger, talk about uh, your household, like mm -hmm. what kind of household you grew up with. I know you've got a brother. Yeah. Did you have any other siblings? Nope, just him. He started playing guitar when he was around 13 or 15, and I really wanted to play guitar too, but he said that would be copying him. <laughs> So I started playing drums, and then one time my parents thought that they found some weed, which was not weed. <laughs> it really, really wasn't. Like I, it, my friends smoked hand-rolled cigarettes. You know, I was friends with older guys because I learned to play drums. So they would be like, "Drummers are a you know hard commodity." Dime a dozen. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I'd be in bands with people that were like 27, and I was 15, and they would leave remnants of shit in my shed. And uh, my dad came in. And he had it hidden in a glove, you know, like at the top of the shelf, pulls it down, pulls it out of the glove. And he's like, what is this? Explain this to me. And I'm like, it's a tobacco cigarette. He's like, I know the difference. I can smell it. And I'm like, well, you should know that it's fucking tobacco then because you smoke. I'm like, open it. It's brown. And then he's like, what? You haven't seen? I've seen brown weed before. I'm like, but after that, I got grounded for a month oh. and I learned how to play guitar. Yeah. I just stayed in my shed with all these guys equipment and listened to Green Day and got coordinated to sing and play at the same time. Oh, okay. Singing and playing at the same time yeah. is a pretty daunting task for somebody who's never done it before. Yeah, but Green Day is a great way to learn. Man. Really? Dookie, swear to God, is like the cookie-cutter, easy approach. That and the Blue Album. Weezer. Yeah. Yeah. Out close to the same time, I guess. Yeah, very close. Yeah. Pretty much junior high for me, I guess. Yeah. I was in like the fifth grade, I think. Yeah. Yeah, when that was happening. I remember when Green Day was booked to play... It was either BJCC or Batwell Auditorium in Birmingham, and we had bought tickets, and then they canceled. You they know, like they played a show. house show in Auburn. Really? Were you there? No, I was uh, 12. I didn't make it. Never know. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I started going after I heard about them being there. So <laughs> they I, never I, came back, huh? Never. I well, just started sneaking out. Were your parents uh, very strict people? I mean, what, what kind of mm. religious or anything? Yeah, they were religious, but they weren't strict. 
What I kind mean, of what kind of religion? Episcopalian. Oh, pretty, okay. Pretty loose religion. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my brother is my my family is. Yeah. I mean, not you. I'm pretty much atheist. Yeah. I mean, we can get into that. I don't well, really did you care. grow up going to church? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I went to Catholic school too. Yeah. Apparently, they had to pay extra for Episcopalians to go there. <laughs> <laughs> so did that whole lifestyle that whole thing didn't really appeal to you growing up not either. at all man really I, I tried other religions like i went to you know unitarian churches and went to camps over there and i just didn't i don't dig the whole organized religion vibe i told my mom that i didn't believe in god when i was like 13 and she told me that as long as you live in this house you do <laughs> <laughs> so are you off the hook now yeah, we're cool. We just don't talk about that shit. So. No? But they weren't really overly strict. They didn't want to buy me a drum set at first because they were afraid I didn't know how to play. The first time I sat behind a drum set, I had two broken arms. But I could do this beat that... And my, my friend was like, dude, you can actually play that shit with two broken... That's pretty fucking amazing, man. You should play drums. And I'm like, really? That's okay. I'll, go, I'll get one. And so did they support the music thing mm. with you guys pretty early? Yeah, my, my dad wanted me to play trumpet, so I started out doing that. And then I wanted to play drums, so they said I had to take a year of band and drums before they'd give me a drum set. I ended up getting it in like six months because I really hated band. I dropped out of band. I was in it for like three years, seventh grade, eighth grade, and ninth grade. Can you still play trumpet? No. <laughs> could no, you I then? <laughs> yeah, I could. I, I was second chair. I can't remember any of it man huh. my girlfriend plays trumpet extremely well she's like chuck mangione huh one time she did it in the shower it was really hot i was not in the shower <laughs> with her i just thought it was sexy that she was in the shower playing trumpet yeah how like, do you do that that seems seems like some naked seem, gun shit yeah it seems yeah. like bad news oh uh, no she you know you hold it away from you don't oh, play I see. into the it, water right yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're listening to green day and weezer and i'm sure you're sort of like broadening your musical horizons from a listening standpoint and a playing standpoint and you, you know you've always mentioned that you've been competitive with your current bandmate Chris Zeiler who's an amazing drummer in saying that you think you're a better drummer than Chris so you must have been you must have been pretty good as a kid right oh I was really good when I first moved here uh -huh. I'm not as good now <laughs> you can't make like, that claim anymore I don't I don't want to I I think most definitely I could give him a run for his money on some beats, but 100% he's got me. I mean, he is fucking awesome. He's just, he's developed a crazy, fast, unique style, you know, like, and he could pretty much do any beat. So, yeah, I don't I don't think I'm better than him. Not, not anymore. I think I'm a better guitar player than him. That's really big of you, you know, after all yeah. these years to finally come out and say, on the on the record here now. Yeah. So I'm sure he'll yeah. appreciate that. Well, so, that's for you, Chris. So band-wise, like in high school and uh, when you were growing up, you, you mentioned you played with older people, and I don't know if that was like a you were in bands or whatever. When, when did you start playing in bands, as a drummer or a guitarist? I guess I was like 13 when I started, probably around 14. 15 I think 15 maybe is when I played my first bar and got to drink and was clearly a child and this guy was like hey are you drinking in my bar and I was like what the fuck's that all about what do you mean am I drinking in your bar he's like if I find out you were drinking I was like you find out I'm drinking I'm gonna go get my ID and fall down these stairs and sue your ass for letting an underage kid drink and fall down and break his neck I don't know how I thought about saying that but I ended up working for that guy a couple of years later. <laughs> this was in Auburn. Yeah. What at what place? Was it was a it was a upstairs of a coffee shop, which is now 
I, I don't, it's okay. Tumor's Corner is literally right across the street from the place that I'm talking about, mm-hmm. and it's not Compass Bank. So, and this place is still there. Not the same venue. Okay. Something stupid now, like Bazoos or something. So before we get to Bakwai, talk about some of the bands that you were in. Oh, good lord! Going up to that point, it's really hard to remember all these names. The main one I remember is a band called Jennifer. That was mostly high school, and that was uh, just me and a bunch of buddies that were pretty much all the same age. We sounded a lot like Built to Spill, mm-hmm. like, but really, really straightforward. We had some semi-progressive stuff. Really, I started hanging around with like some super weird people that you know didn't really have drug problems, but they were kind of outcast. One guy, he, he wasn't really a hippie. He was more of a metal guy, but he also loved Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and Jethro Tull, and Gordon Lightfoot, and you know Sepultura and Slayer. So listening to that, you know, playing music with him, his name's Phil McGlynn, and another guy, Tom Pate. We had a band, but I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me, but it was uh, Improv Noise, and sometimes it was amazing. We had tapes upon tapes upon tapes of this stuff, and we actually we also had interchanging members. We would all switch up instruments. It, it sounds like there was kind of a jazz element to it. Sometimes, is yeah. it, is, it wasn't a jazz band, though. No. Definitely. Yeah. It was it was a prog band. Yeah. Like we had woodblocks, roto toms, you know, it was fucking stupid. Somehow, man, I, w- I wish I still had some of those cassette tapes cuz some of that stuff was I still use some of those riffs, you know, like I'll rip that shit off. I mean, like get a bunch of hammer-ons, you know, like Yeah. Yeah. That really opened up my mind. And I was in a Beach Boys cover band called the Pendletons because that was their original name. What did you do in there? Uh play guitar and sang harmonies. Beach Boy Harmonies? Yeah. We were a three-piece, too. So imagine how hard that was. Jeez. Yeah. Did you like the Beach Boys? Yeah. I love them. I've always loved them. I used to have them in my headphones when I was playing Mario Brothers as a kid because my dad always played it in the car. Yeah. But I learned a lot about... I was really into acid around that time, so I was learning all these new techniques on guitar, you know, all these new chords that I never knew the name of before, like sevens and fifths and just going from major to minor and then modulating to a different scale and the chords that it takes to get to that modulation where it sounds just natural. And it was really enlightening, and it taught me a shit ton. When did you make the move to Tuscaloosa? 2003. And was it shortly after that you formed Bakwai? Yeah, pretty shortly. Started it with Jeff Watley, who now one lives 1F Jeff? Yeah, 1F Jeff. Yeah. He lives in Athens now. Just saw him recently. <laughs> We played up there. He's doing great. Uh, still works at the 40-watt part-time. Huh. How cool is that? <laughs> but, yeah, that version didn't work out. Basically, we were mostly just like... His uh, his idea was... Because I got Chris and Adam as a two-for-one deal by accident. I don't know if you heard that story. Yeah, I did, because it was yeah. the wrong person. It was yeah. a mistaken identity, right? Right. So, we all three met up. It was me and Chris and Jeff at what is now El Rincon and was then Hale's Tavern. And uh, Jeff was like, why don't you work with these two guys and I'll just come in, you know, when they know everything. So because we were primarily doing my songs. He he wanted to do like some of his songs, but I, I already had such a list of shit ready to go. I was like, how about we do two of mine for one of yours? You know, that, that was my compromise. Eventually just ended up weeding him out. Not really, you know, like weeding him out, but yeah, you and Adam and Chris, did you guys sort of immediately hit it off? I mean, did, was, oh, yeah. Did, at first, they really didn't know how to take my style of music because back then I was writing really bouncy, 
like poppy yeah poppy and and waltzy but that i wasn't set on that i just figured that was the easiest quickest songs we could learn like they're very simple they are kind of the same rhythm but they change up but we had a we had a really good mesh together it it did click kind of gel i mean we do we we collaborate all of us do I, I hate to say this, but it's kind of like Nirvana. Or at least from what I've heard in an interview with Kirk Cobain where he was like, you know, it's everybody thinks that I write all the songs, but that's not exactly what happened. I mean, they, they helped me come up with, you know, like the way that my verses are going to be, how long they are, when we're going to change to a bridge. You know? So it's kind of the same thing like that. They, yeah. Yeah, we, we construct it together. I'll have like 50 parts and be like, let's put this puzzle together, however it's going to work. It takes me a long time now since we haven't practiced in like four years. Is that true? It's very true. Not practiced in four years? <laughs> we practiced in Ocean Springs, Mississippi, one song uh, before a show. A new song? Nope. It was an old song. What song? Face. <laughs> yeah. How many times have you played that song? Since then, like maybe twice. No, I mean just in general. Oh, God. Hundreds, right? Countless, yeah. Yeah, maybe thousands. Probably close yeah. to thousands. And you just, you know, something wasn't clicking or... Adam wanted to go over it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Chris has an attitude where he's like, man, I don't care. Whatever song, I'll play it. You know, he acts like he knows it all. If I were to throw a certain song at him, you know, I know that he would kind of fuck it up. But we've gotten to the point where if we do fuck up, we can catch it immediately. And pretty much nobody notices, which is a skill set, I guess. Like, an awesome one to have because that doesn't always work out. You guys start playing live shows at what point? Shortly after you form? Yeah, actually, I think our first live show was on my birthday, or right next to it. So it was in July. It was in late July. It was at Mike the Berry's house off 13th Street. Fire the missiles. Yeah. 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 Slackers. Slackers. Dude. It was yeah. it was around Slackers time. Okay. I guess probably not. maybe at max six months after we'd been together, mm-hmm. we, we played our first show. At max. It doesn't even seem like it was that long. Do you remember it? Yeah, because I was really pissed off. <laughs> Why? Because I didn't think we sounded good. I had a really bad problem with getting angry, like when we were first starting. I would fuck up, and then I'd get this piss-poor attitude on stage and be like, well, here's the next song, everybody. I guess you're probably going to enjoy it as much as the last fucking song, so who fucking cares, whatever. He's called Chris was one of the first. Actually, they were both like, dude, if you don't stop this shit, we're quitting. We don't care. And I'd seen Model Citizen around a lot before I moved up here. They were playing in Auburn a lot. And Matt, you know... That fucking face, like the, <laughs> and he always looked happy. Come on, Matt Patton. Yeah, yeah. And so I had to, I asked him. I'm like, how? What, what's going on with that, man? Like, how do you always have such a good fucking attitude? He's like, man, you know, whatever you do up there, that's what people out there are gonna feel like. So, if I act like an asshole, they're gonna fucking feel like assholes. But if I act like I'm having the time of my life, even if I know, like somebody's not doing the right thing, I'm still just like. <laughs> and, and everybody else like it's like they don't even hear it maybe somebody that knows us really well they'll be you know be able to tell you yeah you fucked that up on that part right there and you know he came in at the wrong time but if you don't know us and you look happy and i'm not saying that this shit happens all the time by any means but you, you know what i'm saying so you got you guys are playing a lot you guys play egan's a lot and we mentioned melon mushroom and there are some other venues that you guys would play every so often and you're recording music and you're starting to write a lot of songs. And you mentioned that you were angry at that time. Were you just an angry person in general? Oh, no. Well, I guess I was bitter. Yeah, why were you bitter? A million reasons, man. Yeah? Yeah. Dating a woman at the time it made me feel crazy. Yeah, probation. Yeah. Uh, 
my job at the time. Which was where? I was working for Salvation Army, which I, I actually loved, but my boss was just a dick douche. Most of the guys that I worked with, I think the only reason I got the job is because I had a record. And everyone that I worked with also had a record, but most of the males were fresh out of prison on a five to ten year split for either manslaughter or armed robbery. And those were the only two. <laughs> so you didn't quite fit in. Oh, no, I I tried to fit in. I was the only like white guy. But uh, I just mean in terms of charges. Yeah, no, I was, yeah. I was the lowest on the totem yeah. pole, definitely. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say I was angry. I think what I was saying there was more about when I played shows yeah. and fuck up. I well, just, you know, I... I look at your songs, though, right, when you guys are playing. Yeah. And, you know, you do have some songs, and you have some themes in your songs. Lots, that would of, s- lots of previous uh, themes are about me being a fuck-up. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's because, basically, I am a fuck-up. I mean, I can't deny that. I've, I've, I fuck up a lot. But I'm okay with it now. Yeah? yeah? Right now, I write about happier shit, I guess. I have one song that just talks about, you know, don't come over without calling. You know? So I... I guess I focus a lot on what annoys me, <laughs> and that gives me my passion to write. That's not good. What do your parents think of Bakwai? They're very proud of me. Yeah? Yeah. I don't think they really pay much attention to the lyri- lyrical content. Like, she loves Mom's song. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Played her that one for Mother's Day one year. She cried. <laughs> it was awesome. Because that, that's some of like, the sweetest lyrics. Like, I can totally write those songs where it's, if it's about a girl, and you're like, oh, fucking love you. Or if it's about my mom, and I'm like, mom, I fucking love you. Those are easy songs to write. I feel like the most grit and anger, you know, those, oh, I fucking love those songs. Like, I want to punch you in your goddamn yeah, that, face. That, yeah, the anger inspires you yeah i mean and you channel that and you find a way to sort of get over it well yeah definitely by writing songs yeah i think you can also like through an angry song find the solution of what you're angry about you know come to terms with it it's therapy basically and you you still look at it that way even though you feel like you're in a better place yeah definitely i feel like i'm in a better place but i still find myself writing songs about what pisses me off like good lord i mean i I try not to get political (laughs) or you know touch on religion but it is impossible to avoid so i I will be writing those songs but those two subjects there's there's so much to talk about you can't put it all in one song you could do little snippets here and there about what you think about society and the bullshit that comes along with it the last time we did an interview you said i usually have at the very least eight songs that i'm working on i'm usually watching netflix on the couch with a guitar and several pieces of paper with several different words on them. I try to rearrange them and figure them out how I want to play the song, and it just takes forever. I'll engulf myself in that until I feel like it's ready to go. Is that still the same process now? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I have a a digital recorder that I keep, and I'll record a guitar part and then try to do... I'm trying now to... You know, do a little bit, I guess, make myself a better guitar player, sort of, or write more interesting parts. Like, I'm a big fan of this guy, Ben Shea. He's totally fucking awesome. I'm jealous of him every time I see him play because that dude can rock a three piece. And I just, uh, his mind, you know, he doesn't see the guitar the way that most people do, I don't think. So, if I'm not busy trying to rip him off by, you know, creating a weird ass overlapping melody like a lead guitar part for an underprise that's like and then the other part's like it's all in the same time signature yeah i still do that well so you guys are a three-piece band but at one time you were a four-piece and you had that backup and a rhythm guitarist or a guitarist i'll say yeah i'm sure it changes up i think we've only had three fourth members 
Yeah. I think. Well, when there's an extra guitar, I mean, obviously, if you're a three-piece and you've only got one guitar, I'm sure there's a lot of responsibility. There's a burden that's put on your shoulders to cover all that ground. I've gotten a lot better at being able to do it. I didn't want to do it initially, and I would... I guess purposely write songs that had other guitar parts so that we had to hire well, a guy. Well, I was going to say, you know, you're the songwriter too. Yeah. And so it, it would surprise me that you would write songs that required an extra guitar just because you're responsible for that guitar, so why would you write an extra? Because I want to hear that part, Uh huh. you know? And there's there's already a harmony there, you know, for vocals. Like, I, I harmonize a lot on the album. And I, I think what we're going to try to do for our next one is actually try to do it live because we sound completely different on albums versus our live shows. Like, it's it's such a polished version of us. I kind of feel like the engineers of our last two albums were... Who's the guy that did Metallica? You know, the guy that... I, I wish I could say his name, but the dude that produced starting off with uh, the Black Album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like, we're going to make the thriller of death metal or whatever the fuck he wanted to say. They really dumbed it down there, and it was extremely... Didn't really sound like Metallica anymore, and I hate to make that comparison because in no way is it the same but it just it changed i guess we get overzealous you know carried away with what we're doing trying to make it sound better and better and better when are we going to hear the third album or are we going to hear it you i don't fucking know really it's still at that point where it's a mystery kind of even for you guys well we finally got all the tracks from the engineers who didn't have time to finish doing what they were doing that they started almost four years ago now and there are so many fucking bullshit tracks on there because of the way that he would the, he refers to my guitar parts as like John isms you know because I'll do a lot of stuff in between uh, and and he's like can you hold off on that noodly shit and just hold the chord I'm like yeah but where do I you know that noodly shit has to go in there somewhere and he's like well, we'll start it on another track and so let's just say there are a million of those that we have to sit there and sift through and put back together and recreate the song. Like, it's just, it's it's going to take a while. You don't want to release it as it is? We can't, because all we have is tracks, no mixes now. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because okay. they didn't, they, they pretty much threw out their mixes. I mean, these this is another case of oh, we got man. fucked, you know? <laughs> like, the, I, I kept telling the guy, I was like, just give me the tracks. I know somebody that will mix it. And he's like, no, we need to keep it because we're talking about starting a label. And he had all these investors and they were going to put us on tour and get us a bus. So he kept it for so long and he's doing Foley art and he doesn't have time to finish it. And I keep calling him and I'm like, dude, are you going to start it? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I just, uh, you know, I'm trying to keep the studio open right now. So I got to do all this other work. And I'm like, then give it to me. I don't care about your label the whole reason he said that he was going to do it pro bono was so that we would give him producer credits which he totally has because when i was throwing songs at the guy you know if i didn't have it on a cd for him to skip through and be like play no play no play i like that one what is it i tell him play all right we're taking that one play no play like that fast and then same thing when i'd be on acoustic guitar and you know right in front of him playing he'd say i don't like that i like that what is that it's not finished finish it let me hear it later. So out of 40 songs, I had, I had 40 songs for him, and he chose 13. So that kind of made me feel like shit. <laughs> well, 13 songs is an album, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we ended up having 15 on there. We took some of the third, second, second album and put, put two of the songs on there. Are you re-recorded? Yeah. Well, no. We just redid the vocals. The last thing I want to ask you, do you remember the first song you ever wrote? Um, oh, geez. I think so. I think so. Yeah, I think I do. It was pretty terrible. Can you play it? Probably. You want to? Not really. No? (laughs) 
I'll try. Yeah. So, what's this called? And just give me a little background on this. It's called Betty Davis Eyes. <laughs> no, I forgot what it's called. Um, <laughs> I really don't know the name of it. Um, Futon, I think it's called Futon. <laughs> that sounds like a Bakwa track. Yeah. Like a, t- a title. Yeah, the title. I'm yeah. not good at creating names for songs. Normally, Adam and I will just look around the room and be like, Green Owl. That's Is that the name of a new Bakwa song? It could be. Yeah, well. <laughs> okay. Just sitting around waiting for you. Uh, your company agrees with me. I'm still around. I wish everything. Damn, I can't. I can't remember it, man. I'm sorry. Uh, I know the chorus. And that's like, Do it. Do the chorus. The moment we departed was when I lost myself. You left so brokenhearted. I could think of nothing else. I saw you on the futon sitting too close for comfort. I never thought I'd feel like this before and then the so yeah that's the gist of it gotcha futon yeah futon gotta put it in the rotation man well on that note let's call it quits <laughs> all right man thank Thank, you. thanks for doing this john snowden bakwai will play thursday at nimi's top shelf tavern in tuscaloosa with pen pals so go thanks again <laughs>